Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19 to T podcast, Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy with you for one last time in 2020 Drudes. What a year it's been. It's been a huge year, I suppose. Uh, we've, had, we've never had uh, less golf played, but I feel like we've spoken about more, more than ever um, all the topics and things that we've covered off from Bryson to COVID to major championships and bloody masters in November. It's been a, been a bit of a wild ride. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it, that uh, the fact that we had a, a, a legitimate halt of all golf worldwide, but we probably uh, spoke more than we ever have yeah. in that period of time. And, and fortunate in a sense that whilst we were locked down, podcasting was one of the things that you could continue to do. Yeah, um, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, if you're one of our <laughs> listeners who continue to be annoyed throughout the year. But this is going to be our last episode of what has been an extraordinary year. We tinkered with the idea of what this format might look like. Uh, we started off thinking that we might just sit here and reflect on some of our highlights, but I think, Drudes, we landed on a far better result, and, and that being some highlights from episodes from the year because we could sit here and, and, and I suppose, shower you all in our opinions, but realistically, the best part of this podcast is hearing from our guests uh, and hearing the stories of those young, old, or otherwise golfers who've, who've either been to the top or on their way to the top and, and just the ins and outs of what life is like as a professional golfer or involved in the industry in some way, shape, or form. So, courtesy, Dreadstar, of your outstanding editing efforts, we're going to hear snippets from some of the best chats across the year. Uh, before we do so, Dreads, I think we need to say a few thank yous. Yes. Um, we wouldn't be able to do this without uh, a number of people. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to our wonderful sponsors who joined us this year. Of course, uh, Future Golf, Gage Roads Brewing, and most recently, Cobra Puma Golf. Uh, their support of this podcast is um, most certainly appreciated um, and incredibly generous that they have thrown their support behind a, a growing brand like ours when they didn't need to do so and shown a lot of faith. We hope that we are repaying it and we look forward to doing many more great things with them in 2021 and beyond. Uh, secondly, Drudes, and probably most importantly, are our listeners. Mm. Without whom, uh, this would not exist We've had an extremely entertaining um, and I think gratifying year knowing that uh, this reaches people who find it of value, uh, whether they're commuting, whether they're exercising, whether they're trying to kill some time at work, whether they help us, uh, sorry, we, whether we help them get to sleep at night. Uh, we probably do put a few people to sleep. Uh, I, I think it's incredibly gratifying to know that this started out because we had a bit of a laugh that we might record a few episodes and see how it went and, you know, fast forward 14, 15 months. Uh, we've grown a little community, for want of a better word, and, and we are incredibly humbled by that. So a massive thank you to all of our listeners for your support across 2020. And just finally from me, Droids, uh, a big thank you to you, uh, because you uh, we joke often about the 80-20 split and workload on this podcast. Uh, I'm really only good for the outros and the intros, to be honest. Um, the the crux of the, the workload in the middle is all yours um, from the... Uh, evidence-based research from the depth of your preparation through to your post-production work uh, this podcast would not get off the ground without 
without uh, yourself and your hard work. So I am very appreciative of, of you and all you do for the 19th tee and look forward to doing it all again in 2021, my friend. Yeah, thank you, KM, uh, and the same to you. It's been a, it's been a massive year, and um, yes, you've done a lot of work as well. I don't think you should uh, underestimate that, but um, it's been a lot of fun to know that we um, well we we have achieved a lot this year. I think um, you know we it's something that I suppose I suppose we stop and reflect on, and we'll do it again in a couple of episodes time at a hundred. Um, but yeah, everything that we've achieved in you know uh, just over a year, silver medal at the the um, Australian Podcast Awards, and some pretty exciting partnerships. And I think the thing that gives me the most joy and gratification is when um, we're out talking to people out on the golf course, or we're meeting new people for the first time, and we're able to say that we run a podcast that's pretty relaxed about golf and, and they go and give it a listen and you get a message and say, Oh, this was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that. And um, people come back and listen. And uh, we've had some great guests as well, but um, yeah, big milestone coming up in a couple of episodes of time. I think this is episode 98. I can't actually remember. I'm pretty sure it might be 98 or 99 even, but um, episode 100, uh, we're just going to take uh, your questions. So we'll put something up on Instagram soon to get everyone to start filtering their questions through, but that's going to be, a lot of fun as well. I'm looking forward to just waxing lyrical about anything that we've got. And we've also got some exciting content coming out as well. Uh, you'll be over Perthway. So Backspinners mm. episode two will be out. Uh, we are booked in at the stunning Joondalup Resort. Um, Home ground advantage for you. That's yes, good. I've played there once. Uh, that should give so, me, what, two or three strokes to start off with? Well, I mean, last time we played straight up match play, but I think we should play uh, relative to our handicap this time. So um, I can beat you fair and square. But uh, yes, we are playing the uh, June and Lakes. nine. we couldn't get June Quarry, unfortunately, but um, June and Lakes. I haven't played the Lakes, so that'll be the, uh, that's the back nine. So that could be the real... Yeah. The real test, but uh, going to be a lot of fun. Backspinners episode two coming early twenty one as well. So looking forward to having you in Perth, mate. It's been a, been a little while. It has been. It's been a hot minute. Looking forward to getting out <laughs> west roads on the uh, on the red eye on Christmas night. So I'll be touching down, uh, ready to go for the Boxing Day test, and we'll yes. uh, we'll roll out a bit of golf content post that. So. As you say, uh, start thinking about your questions after a few gauge rows on Christmas Day for our 100th episode coming up. Um, and don't forget to follow us on the socials at the 19th Tee Podcast. Uh, subscribe, download, rate the podcast on yes. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get, you get your audio. And uh, without any further ado, Droots, I will throw it over to you and your outstanding editing work. Here's some highlights from the year that was 2020 on the 19th Tee Podcast. Yes, thanks, KM. Uh, and we kick things off by going back to episode number 48. And this is with uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Gower, who tells one of the funniest stories I reckon that we've had on this podcast to date of his time in the US and when the uh, free gear started to start rolling in for Paul Gower. And off you did go. And you ended up in the US on the nationwide tour, um, which is now, for, for those who don't know, is now the Corn Ferry. Three-time winner on the nationwide tour as well, mate. What's that, I suppose, what's it like when you rock up to your first nationwide tour event? Um, is it, I suppose, what, what's the emotions going through uh, your brain? Are you, just, are you just itching to get out there? Or is, it, is it nerves? What's it like when you first get there? Yeah, that was, it was awesome. Rod Pampley and I, we jumped in a car in LA and, and drove across the country and played mini tours. And I said in that year, this was 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'd played a few times in Australia and I'm doing all right, not great, and same with him and I said, mate, let's let's just get into it and we'll play a couple of, it was called the Nike Tour back then and, um, you know, there was 300 guys that, um, you know, were, were 
we're qualifying for 14 spots at two golf courses and and we went to Kansas City and where was the other one? Wichita, sorry, Wichita and the other one was Odessa, Texas. And um the first one I got into I actually got in and, and I couldn't believe it, but my eyes were open. I walk on the range and there's 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 golf equipment everywhere and I went in the locker room and and um after registering there's there's a Titleist guy there and he said, Oh Paul, your locker's over there. I opened the locker door and there's three dozen you know, tightless balladas there. And I went, holy shit, look at that. Oh, that, that was like, there was gold in there. And I, um, I, I walked back over because Pimps and I are just driving around in the car and, you know, sort of getting their way around. I walked back with two dozen balls and I, I said to uh, the guy that was giving me out the rep at the time, I said, oh, mate, I don't really need all these. I said, how bad do you think I am? I don't think I'm going to use, uh, you know, three dozen balls. And he laughed. And I said, oh, Mate, I said, the good players in Australia get two dozen. You know, mate, I only ever get a dozen. That's all they need. He said, I've been doing this job for 25 years and no one's ever given me balls back. So um, <laughs> um, well, that, that was sort of like the first time I'd looked at it and thought, oh, holy shit, they're giving stuff out for free. And then I walked from there. I walked on the practice fairway looking for a, like, to go and try to find a caddy because I knew you'd need a caddy. And this Callaway guy came up to me. And uh, he said, you're Monday qualifier? I said, yeah. He said, do you want to try one of our drivers? And I said, uh, it was the great big Bertha at the time. And mm. they were about 1100 bucks in Australia. And yeah. um, I went, oh, yeah, mate, but I can't afford it. Because I'm adding up ahead. And I'm thinking, no, I can't afford it. You know, not a chance. And anyways, no, no, he said, go and try it. So I said, oh, sure, all right, okay. I hit some balls and went out. And it was just me and the caddy and just this old bloke. And I smashed this thing. It's the best I've ever driven the ball. I walked back on the range and... This Barry comes up and he says, Paul, how'd you like the driver? I said, yeah, really good, mate, but here's that. He said, what, you didn't hit any good? And I went, no, no, I hit it fantastic, but um, um, I can't afford it. He goes, no, no, no. He says, I'll give you the driver and I'll pay you $200 to use it. And I said, you fucking what? You, you give me the driver and you'll give me money to do it. And he goes, he goes uh, yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he said, do you need anything else? I said, well, where's your bag? And, you know, then I... Yeah, you know, I got a three wood and a five wood, and it, it opened my eyes up. And I couldn't wait to get back to the hotel to tell Pamps and go, mate, you're not going to believe this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I said, these dudes, the hats and gloves and balls, and, and, and a guy from Nike came up to me and he said, would you like a pair of shoes? And I, 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 it was just heaven. And, and I just fell in love with it then. I, I just said, well, America's the place to be, and, yeah. and, and I need to I, I need to stay here. And, and same with Pamps. I said, mate, let's get stuck in. Next up, one of our more recent episodes, episode number 95 with the NTPGA champion, uh, and that is Aaron Pike telling the story of the, the great trophy, of course, the, uh, the crocodile with the golf ball in its mouth. It's one of our favourites, and this is his story about lifting the thing over his head. First and foremost, he's at the NTPGA, uh, and there's a wonderful photo of you kneeling on the, uh, I'm assuming it's the 18th green, with the trophy aloft. The crocodile with a golf ball in it. Now, we have both confirmed in recent weeks that that is the best trophy in golf, bar none. Agree. Uh, it is better than the uh, Open Championship. It's better than the Little Masters one that you get. But how do you drink out of it at the uh, at the end of the night? How do you pour a beer in there and drink out of it? Unfortunately, it didn't happen. It just disappears. <laughs> no, it's, no, a, it's, it's an incredible it. trophy, though. It is, yeah, and it's unbelievably heavy. I, I remember, I remember that they were sort of getting me to take some pictures and whatever else, and 
when I did the presentation, the whole, it felt like the entire membership base of Palmerston Golf Club was standing in front of me. I, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it, but they're all cheering and so forth. And I lifted it up above my head. And as soon as I did that, um, everyone from the media was like, oh, wow, we want to get that picture. <laughs> and, the, and I said to them, has anyone else done it? And they said, no. I said, well, I think that's because no one else has ever thought that they could lift this thing above their fucking head. So I, I had to keep doing it, unfortunately. So I, I showed my hand too early, but I hope the next guy that wins it, if it's not me that wins it again next year, that, uh, that they're strong enough to lift that thing above their head because they're going to ask them. Mikey, you want to just touch quickly on, you mentioned the, the emotion about just being able to play a tournament. How has this year been? I asked because I had a chuckle to myself when we were messaging you to tee this chat up and, and I was trying to find a, a day and a time that might work and I suggested um, this evening and, and asked whether that would suit your, your schedule and your response was verbatim, I'm a golf pro, mate. I've got fuck all on. Everything in Oz is cancelled. So... Yeah. <laughs> Not only did I have a good chuckle to myself, it probably shone a light on the the harsh reality of of what it's been like this year for you. So reflecting back on what has been for everybody a highly interrupted year, how have you handled it? Probably a mentally, but but b making sure that you're staying on top of your game. Yeah, in terms of how I've handled it mentally, there, there's been moments where it's been you know it's been shit, uh, especially earlier on in the start of the year. I, yeah, I, I did an interview. Um, I did an interview with with someone immediately after I won the NTPGA, and you know, I, so I alluded to the fact where, you know, it was pretty pretty obvious that everything was doom and gloom, and it was all sort of getting cancelled. And you know, do you really want to be doing this anymore? And um, yeah, is the trouble worth it, and so forth? And that was, I would say that that was very. I didn't let that uh, didn't let that last long. I didn't go down that rabbit hole too too far I guess and um, but in terms of how I've handled the year in terms of getting on top of things uh, my coach and I um, have definitely used this time although I would rather be playing tournaments I have definitely tried to use this time to um, add more bows to my repertoire um, and and sort of develop my game and iron out some things that I've had problems with. That was all I was working on prior to the Northern Territory PGA. I didn't, I, I didn't actually prepare the NT PGA like it was, you know, an Australian Open so forth. I was working my butt off, you know, trying to get ready for, you know, sort of February, March next year uh, because that's when I was aware that everything would be coming back um, that sort of counts towards our money list and, and then obviously aiming up towards the Open Championship. So I was and still am working on things to try and, you know, better the game and, and so forth. So in sort of really layman terms, I've tried to use this time. I've, I've really started to work on doing things for my body, doing things physically, um, recovery work. I've struggled, with, as I said, a lot with nerve pain and, and, and chronic pain doing things to fix that uh, and also just trying to make my life better. So uh, although I would like to be doing those things while I was playing Australian Opens and Victorian Opens and Australian PGAs, it's unfortunately I'm not in control of that and I don't like to try and I don't like to try and let things that I've got no control over affect me. And and that's the biggest thing that helps Aaron keep pushing forward and keep 
doing the right things. If I can control what I can control and I do my job, then I'll move on to good things. Back to June now and episode number 55 with Zach Murray. Uh, certainly one of the most open and honest conversations that we've had. Um, and, and Zach, obviously an incredible golfer in his own right, but um, has battled anxiety and he was very open about his battles um, on our podcast. And this is his chat about those, uh, those challenges that he's faced in recent years. Zach, I want to, I suppose, maybe talk something off the course for a moment. You've referenced it a number of times in our conversation so far tonight and, and above and beyond that, you've been quite open with your, your battle with anxiety. Uh, I'm curious to know whether, uh, obviously, I, I think that you are um, probably representative of a larger sample of athletes, but also community more broadly, but part of a minority that have the, the courage to get on the front foot and speak about it. And, and I wonder for you personally, is, is speaking about it part of dealing with it and processing it on a day-to-day basis? Uh, and do you feel as though the environment in which we live in now is far more friendly and conducive to being able to be open and honest about the challenges that you face? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember... Um, being a part of the VIS when I was um, sort of I was sort of a, a semi scholarship holder when I was fifteen and sixteen and um, you know the people that were around me and, and my coach today you know had no idea what I was going through because I was too afraid to tell someone that I and I to be fair at that age I didn't really know what was going on like I just I thought I was just nervous about going to Melbourne or I thought I was nervous about leaving home like I had no idea really what I was worrying about and and the depth of, you know, what it could eventuate to be. And I really struggled to tell, you know, people close to me apart from my family what I was dealing with up until I was sort of 18, you know, when I didn't want to move to Melbourne when I finished school because that was the intention with the VIS for me to move down when I finished and I just couldn't, you know, and they sort of, um, you know, had no idea why I didn't want to, you know, I, I assume they would have thought that I just didn't, didn't want to, didn't want it enough, you know, and, and, I, and it's clearly fair enough because if I don't want to move and I don't come to training, you know, and I think eventually I just, you know, I said to dad, I've got to, I've got to tell them. Um, and, you know, they had no idea. And it's really hard because I was pretty good at disguising it. Um, and yeah, it has become, a big part of my life and I try and talk about it as much as possible in a, in a, uh, in a positive way because it is a big part of me. You know, I, I go through it every day with different, different things. Like, and it's not, it doesn't debilitate me now like it used to, but there was certainly some stages in my life where I, you know, I couldn't do things, um, because of it. Um, and it's something that I'm really passionate about helping others with and, um, you know, it's really become like my girlfriend, um, she's just finished her psychology degree. So it's obviously something that we talk about it a lot. Um, and it's just become a big, a big talking point and a passion of mine in, in just helping others, um, that might be going through, through stuff. Um, because yeah, it's really tough, um, when you're trying to deal with it yourself. Um, it's basically impossible to to um, conjure up or um, decipher your thoughts in your own brain. Um, and I think 
being able to express yourself for me works the easiest. Some people like to write. Some people like to um, exercise and get it out. But for me, talking about it, um, I've found is, is the biggest uh, biggest factor in, in helping me get through it. Still one of our favourite episodes to date, episode number 66 from July. Dimi Papadatos. It is one of the funniest uh, stories that we've definitely had. Um, I'm going to say that a few times, but this is an absolute ripper. I'm pretty sure the photo is still on his Instagram. Uh, it is the very first photo that he ever posted. So if it's still up, go and have a look. And this is the story behind it. I wanted to end on a high. Your first photo that you posted on Instagram was a picture of yourself uh, and an, an unnamed associate. I didn't recognize the gentleman, but you were both wearing budgie smugglers and holding a bottle of Belvedere vodka. So. Um, <laughs> Probably two-part question, first being um, interesting choice for you, your very first photo on social media, and, and secondly, <laughs> how much do you think you've grown up in the content that you post? <laughs> I think that's got it. That, that'll be gone in the next three minutes. Um, oh, hold on, I'll just screenshot it. I got it, mate. It. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was, um, yeah, I think that was, yeah, when I was, that was a pretty funny story. It was a bit of a long one to go through, but we, yeah, that was in on the Gold Coast. Oh, we rocked up to um, a nightclub, um, me and a few of my mates, after missing the cut at the Queensland Open. So we we went to the um, this nightclub on the Saturday night. It might have been. I was the Friday night actually, and we walked in there and they had they had a, it was a male modeling comp so just to bring all the girls in and we're like oh what are we doing here this is no good so we just walked in there had a couple of drinks and this the manager comes up and she said to us oh hey guys how you going can i borrow one of you for the male modeling comp tonight it's, and we're like oh what's going on they said oh well we've got these models and they're going to do walk on the runway we've got judges from like the bachelor and mtv fashion and all this sort of stuff can we get one of you to do it just for a bit of fun? Cause we're short, short one guy. And we're like, I'm thinking no way in the world. And she said, if one of you do it, there was four of us there. And the first round of drinks was 60 bucks and we had no money. That was the first year on tour. And they said, she said, um, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars cash and shout all of you's drinks for the re- you and your friends drinks for the rest of the night. So the boys are like, oh, we have to do this. Someone has to do this. So, of course, I get um, I get peer pressured into doing it, and I walk in, walk out the back, and all these blokes are just ripped as, and I'm you know, just sloppy as. Just had like a pepperoni pizza and three beers. Got golf tan, like fat as, like horrendous. As I still am, and um, I just said, "This is a joke." I said to her, "Look, I can't do this. This is this is so bad." And she said, "No, no, no. You have to do it. Like you're here now. All you have to do is walk in what you're wearing up and down." I thought, like, a couple of guys had their shirt off, and I was like, "Oh, they're doing push-ups and stuff." And I thought, "This is a bit weird." So I said, "All right, if I just have to do it in these my normal clothes, I'll do it." So I walk out, do a bit of a shimmy, walk back in. And she said, well done, you're through to the second round. I said, what's the second round? She said, oh, we've cut it down to four people now. Now you've got to do the same thing in these. And she gives me these fluoro orange budgie smugglers. So what am I doing with them? She said, just put them on 
and walk out and do the same thing. And I said, I can't, I can't do this. This is like, this is so embarrassing. Like I'm so out of shape. I, I'm not doing it. And she said, you have to, you've come this far, just do it. And I said, all right, give me another tequila shot. Let's go. So <laughs> have a tequila shot. She walks out to go get me the shot. I take my sock because I'm thinking I've got, I've got like nothing to give here. So I thought I'll take my socks off and I chucked them down the front of my, front of the, um, the speedos, the budgie smugglers just looked like I was packing a bit extra and I walk out there and by then I was, you know, in a pretty good mood and I started doing a bit of a dance, walked around, come back in and this, the nightclub was packed. Like I've never seen a ratio of so many girls and I, I walk out, walk back in and one of the judges walks in and goes, who was that? What was that? And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was only joking. Like, I'm not meant to be here. And she said, that was amazing. She said, come over here. She said, you've won this. I said, what do you mean? She said, you've won hundred percent. We want, you've won the thing, but we've only found out you're not even entered. Like we need your details. I said, I'm not, don't worry about it. She said, look, you either tell me now that you'll accept the winner's prize and you'll come back for the final in three weeks or you don't worry about it and we'll just give it to another guy who actually wants to do this as a career. But I'm telling you, you can, this is you. And I said, and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm coming back for this ever again. This is a disgrace, but there's no way I'm doing this without getting recognition. So I said, all right, I'll come back for the final. So we all walk out and all the guys walk out there and everyone's standing there and none of them know that I've actually won. So they picked two guys to get through and that was the other guy in the photo. So I'm just standing there and they go and the winner is and they say my name and the boys are just laughing their heads off and it was just a big embarrassment and they harassed me for two weeks straight to try and come up to go to go to the final and I was like, yeah, no chance in the world. And then that was that was the explanation for that first photo, <laughs> which won't be there tomorrow. <laughs> Next up, we have Blake Windred, uh, one of the most promising up-and-coming Aussie stars going around at the moment. Uh, it was a really, really fun chat with Blake. Um, he has a lot of interest uh, in things away from golf, which was really exciting to chat about. And here's him telling us a little bit about what he likes to do away from the course to relax, uh, something that he was really passionate about. So here's Blake Windred. Life comes at you real fast, mate, I bet. Um, just <laughs> just, just <laughs> finally... <laughs> You spend an awful lot of time on the golf course, uh, whether it's playing in tournaments, practicing, traveling for golf. Life is golf. So what, what does Blake Windred do to relax? What do you do to get away from the game, clear your head? I grew up in Newcastle. Are we, are we a surfer? Are we a big Knights fan? What, what's what's <laughs> Blake Windred away from golf? Oh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not a Knights fan. Uh, Dad's, ever since I could remember, Dad's had me uh, going for the Sydney Roosters. So uh, I'm a big Jesus. Roosters fan. Yeah, sorry, so sorry for the your departure back, today. Uh, uh, yeah, if, if anyone did the nineteenth tee with Blake Windred, uh, <laughs> let's wrap it up there. That's we're an NRL anyway, point. Anyway, anyway, when, when you said you weren't a Knights fan, I was actually pretty uh, happy. Anyway. And then you went to Roosters. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. It's not a bad roster, anyway. No, <laughs> no, but um, yeah, it's um, yeah, to get away from golf, um, obviously. You know, you know, something that I've never been good at uh, through school, I couldn't think of anything worse than reading books. Uh, I know even saying now, it kind of sounds a bit, 
bit, um, you know, bit boring. But um, I really, I set a goal about um, before I went away last year. So I don't know, maybe like seven months, eight months ago, set a goal to read just a book a month, twelve books in a year. And I think I've I've read, well, I've easily read twelve already. Um, so it's kind of like I've, I, I'm actually, I'm really enjoying just learning about um, different different things that I enjoy and that I want to get better at. Like I read a lot of self-development books, um, you know, anything to, to improve your sleep, um, anything. It all relates to golf and life anyway. So um, I feel like I don't go to, um, don't go to uni, so I better do some sort of, you know, study and, and uh, you know, learn, learn a little bit about something I'm, I'm interested in. So, Definitely reading, but also, um, you know, I, I bought a decent camera the other day. Um, I'm, I'm, I've always been interested in taking taking some cool cool little photos, and I got a couple mates that are really uh, good teachers to me. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoy that thing, that kind of stuff, and I think I can. Um, it's a good 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 way to get away from the uh, golf course and and really just go and it's quite relaxing actually, especially traveling as much as hopefully uh, I, I will in the next um, however many years be able to take some cool cool photos and look back at it uh, great memories on to episode number 57 and this was with Braith Anasta the NRL superstar uh, joined us in June I think uh, Braith is one of those guys who who really shares what we're trying to achieve here on this podcast um, it was wonderful to have him on and he's a very very funny man he loves his golf He's now managing a great stable of young Aussie golfers coming through the ranks. So this is Braith telling us about the, the purpose that golf served for him during the height of his NRL career. What purpose did, did golf serve for you during your career, Braith? Because, you know, we speak to guys like Chris Lynn who, who, who speak of it as being a break away from their, their respective sport and they're able to go out and switch off. Did golf serve that purpose for you or were you sort of out there still trying to shoot good scores and, and lower your handicap um, and, and probably, you know, putting too much pressure on yourself from, from a golf side of things? Yeah, again, a fantastic question for me because golf is a definite release. Like, it's it's the um, the ultimate release, I believe, and that soul is just away from the, the, the pressure in the world of um, professional sport, you know, obviously not being a professional golfer where you can just get away and you could be anywhere, you know. it's it, it, it really is. A, it's a magical. It's a magical sport. It, you know, it's, it, you can get away um, either by yourself or with a group of mates and, and just chew the fat and, and enjoy it. Enjoy yourself. And if you don't take it too seriously, that that is the case. For me, at times, like I I did use it as a release throughout my career, my footy career. But at times, it was hard for me. I, I, and the reason it was hard for me is because there was a lot of expectation on me, and because of the a lot of people. Um, do relate me um, to golf because of my early early um, my early career or my my early sort of success in golf and then so if I go there is a bit of expectation there for me so you know I get invited to a lot of golf days and a lot of club day like our footy club golf days and a lot of people want to play with me because they hear all the stories but the, the the reality is I don't play like I used to and I, I'm lucky to play once every probably. I'd say two months at the moment. I try and change that if I can, if I'm not working too hard. And I'm just not the player I was. So 
it's really hard for me to enjoy it because I play with people who have so much expectation and, and just think that they're going to play with this guy who's off scratch, who, you know, could have been a professional golfer and all the tales that have been told. And then I get out there and honestly, I could play one day. I could play one day with, with the group and they could say, wow, mate, why didn't you, why didn't you turn pro? And then I could play the very next day and they go, look at this, look at this fucking, this guy's a fucking, he's fucking hopeless. Like, how did he, like, is this, is this for real? Is this a G up? Like, because my, my good and my bad are so far apart. Um, so it's, it, I, know, I get so embarrassed. Breach into the converted, Braith. Breach into the converted. Like I'm letting people down. I, I, you actually hear it in people's voices. They get a bit, like, I hear like, oh, look at this. Like, it's, like, it's like I've let them down. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. Like, it's, it's so, um, yeah, like, it's, you know, and they, you can feel them getting the shit because it's like Ambrose and they've, yeah, some of them have paid to play with me, like because they think I'm going to be good, and I'm just like, nah, I'm not good anymore. And, and, and they've wasted, they've wasted their money, and you can oh. feel the disappointment. So that um, that relief that, 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 that's supposed to be enjoyable for me, um, sometimes isn't. But you know, like the, the best thing, like or the, what I love is just drive out of the course by yourself and just go and play, you know, and just get away from reality and just clear the mind you know obviously you know, there's a lot of but i'm big on um i think it's good for people's mental health these days too and and, and just you know um you know we all we all need a release you know, life's tough there's a lot of pressures a lot of expectations so golf is definitely um i think a, a, a healer for that all the way back to episode number 35 now from the 20th of february and, and this is one that i reckon is a little bit underrated it's with gary lisbon who is one of the great golf photographers in the world. He's taken an incredible amount of photos. Uh, make sure you follow him on Instagram because it serves just a little bit of joy uh, for everyone when uh, that, that photo pops up at about three o'clock in the afternoon. This is him talking about uh, the, the number of photos that he's taken and, and uh, how his career's panned out, traveling around the world, photographing some of the most incredible golf courses. I think the, the thing that I'm fascinated about with photography of, of any kind is that it captures a moment in time, you know, literally a millisecond of time that's never to be repeated and preserves it forever. Do you, do you stop and reflect on the, you know, you've taken uh, on your website, you said more than 106,000 photos from 500 plus courses and in 21 countries, do you ever stop and reflect and go and just consider I suppose that you are the person who took that photo that, that, that will never be repeated ever again. And, and this is it for forever. Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, I've stood on the top of sand dunes for an hour, an hour and a half waiting for the sun to come out. You know, places like Barn Boogle dunes where the sun was just not cooperating and patience was a real virtue there. And the sun came out for about 20, 30 seconds, captured that shot. And that's, that's what I, I remember. Same at Royal Troon, a postage stamp hole in Scotland. Famous um, hole that your, your listeners might be aware of. Mm. I rushed out to that hole. It was, it was raining all afternoon. Rushed out to that hole, set up the camera, got the shot just as um, the sun came beyond a bank of cloud. And literally, it was probably a 10-second window of sun, got the <laughs> shot, and then it bucketed down with rain and I got wet sort of uh, walking back to the hotel so yeah golf shots are captured they're mom moments in time and no two moments will be the same it's likewise when you go to a 
a course, say, six months apart, three months apart, different seasons. The sun is in a different position in the sky. So it's something I try and do is if I'm visiting a course on multiple occasions during the year, is that I'll try and go to the same spot and capture a similar kind of image and then compare the images over the, the, the months. And they are all different. I think I was I was reading online. Uh, you you wrote a piece. Um, it might have been for Australian Golf Digest. Where and correct me if I'm wrong here. Where you went to Barnburg, or I think it might have been Lost Farm, uh, and the conditions were no good for photography. And and you were talking about how you waited one year for 12 the, yeah twelve months for the for the photo to be just right, and and you waited until that exact moment the the year later, and you sort of went down and. And got the and got the photo. It's a patient game, isn't it? Photography. Yeah, that that's it. That's at extremes. That twelve month scenario. That was the seventh <laughs> hole of the June's course. Tom's little devil, and I was doing a shoot of the course, and I got to that hole. I think I may have mentioned 30, 45 minutes after I should have, because the sun was a little bit too high. And, and for mm. us, it's all about sun angle. So there's what's known as a golden hour. In the, in the morning, sunrise plus one hour and then sunset minus one hour. They're the two optimal times to shoot. So I got to this hole. It's a great hole for those listeners who, who know it. Mm. And I missed the shot. So I just plugged it away in my head that, okay, if I'm going to be there again, which I was 12 months later, I needed to get to that hole at, at an hour earlier to set up. And I did. And I still one of my favorite shots, that, that one. I think it's a favorite shot because of the effort that it took to capture to capture the shot over to episode number 89 with jed morgan now this is firmly in the top three for me uh we did tell him this he told us that we were full of shit but this is one of the uh funny funny stories that we've had um with him we were congratulating him about starting a social media account on instagram uh and then he dropped the bombshell on us, which um, we managed to, to play on for the rest of the episode but jed was a lot of fun to have on this is a, this is a very funny story now, Jed, if you weren't so bloody talented, we wouldn't have had uh, much to talk about on this podcast because normally <laughs> we, we Google our, uh, our guests that's coming on. But most of the research comes from social media. Now, um, we've been trying to get you on for, for a little while. We've had no real way of contacting you because we reach out yeah. to Instagram. Now, what's a 20-year-old bloke doing without... Instagram uh, and why now for social why now for social media on the verge of turning professional? Um, I mean, Jesus Christ, you made it hard enough for us to get in contact with you. <laughs> oh, I'm just I, I still don't even do that page. You've been texting my girlfriend this whole time. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, so I don't even run on. the page, mate. I um, <laughs> I um, I don't even want it. I um, I'm just not interested in it, like. There's some good things of it and stuff, but I had to get it through this scholarship that I uh, received. And it was just a not a requirement. They didn't say I had to get it, but it would help them out if I was to do it. So I, uh, I did it. and and um, But I said I don't want to look after the page because I just don't have any real interest in um, social media. But, yeah, there's been a few like young kids message me on there and um which i think i'm going to keep it because of that because it's cool to get those messages to see that these little kids actually sort of look up to you and guys like you guys want to have a chat and i love having a chat to sort of anyone it doesn't bother me usually just the 
sound like a couple of Aussie larrikins. So it's it's good fun being in the monks and all this stuff. And I, I, yeah, exactly right. It wouldn't have come about if I didn't actually get Instagram. So we'll see where she goes. Really, maybe we should have had your girlfriend on. Yeah, if she's the one answering the, if she's the one answering the texts, maybe we should. No, nah, she's been texting me. She's been telling me. It's like these guys are messaging. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, I right, know. I'll talk to them. <laughs> I tell you what's funny, Jed, because uh, that that I think that makes this next question even funnier because it, it did seem <laughs> it did seem odd to us uh, that a that a, a young man of your age, given the the I suppose the habitual nature on social media of, of the younger generation, it, it did seem odd to us. You'd only just started your page. What seemed even odder is that uh, what we had read to be quite a humble young man from Huttonvale in his first two photos on his Instagram page. I don't know that I've ever seen a bigger flex. Now, in, in the other guys that we've got, um, in the other guys that we've got onto this podcast and we've gone back through their social media, we always like to go to the first photos because everyone's first few photos on their social media page are embarrassing. I don't know if you've, yeah, um, I, I don't know if you've got, uh, got him on the Instagram. I don't know how often you check it, but do yourself a favor and go and have a look at Dimi Papadatos' first photo on Instagram if he has still got it up because he did say to us in our interview that he was going to delete it after getting off. It was him in a pair of dick togs holding a bottle of Belvedere vodka that he'd won on a promotional activity that he didn't actually realize <laughs> was still on there. Now, I draw that comparison because your first two photos on Instagram, in fact, Still your only two photos on your Instagram account. <laughs> the first one is you on the tee, uh, I believe up at Pelican Waters with the king, uh, arguably yeah. the greatest player ever to lace on a rugby league boot, Wally Lewis. And the second one is yourself and uh, your now mentor, uh, arguably the greatest ever Australian cricket captain, Ricky Ponning. You're not, you're not fucking around, really. Let's, let's, not, let's, yeah, oh, <laughs> let's put it bluntly. You're not messing around. There's no point, is there? It was, I didn't like, yeah, I just had to break the ice, really, didn't I? <laughs> hey, guys, I'm Jed Morgan, and here's all my friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't call him. I probably just annoyed him that much. They don't want to ever fucking speak to me again, but that's all right. At least I said I've met him once. Probably two questions out of that. Uh, first and foremost, how much unsolicited advice did you offer the king during your round of golf that you had with him? <laughs> Not much. Not much at all. <laughs> how was it playing with Wally? Yeah, it was good. We just did like a few holes. Like it was only mm. the main sh- this bloody shoot thing. So it made out like we were playing golf, but we really only played the two or three holes. Just for, um, yeah, for a bit of meter promotion for the Queensland Open. So it was cool to meet him. It was a bit of an ordinary day as he lost one of his colleagues at um, at the news channel that he works obviously at... Um, He's seven years, isn't he? I think he's seven years. Channel nine, but that's fine. No, he'd be, uh, he's channel nine years, yeah. Neither of those are sponsors <laughs> yeah, of this so, podcast, so don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly right. So, yeah, he'd lost one of his colleagues, so it was a bit of an ordinary day for him to be out there interviewing, and once I heard that, I was a bit sort of obviously pitiful of it. And um, But it was cool. It was, it was awesome to meet him. Um, I took a photo straight away and sent it to... Uh, my mum, because mum loves him, and um, yeah, it was it was awesome to to once again reap the benefits from golf and the opportunities that it seems to bring. Continuing on with our episodes of athletes who love their golf, uh, and this was episode number sixty nine back in July with Nathan Broad, uh, the Richmond Tigers uh, now triple premiership 
player. Uh, he is uh, a very, very keen golfer, uh, and he spoke about uh, the pressures of standing on the first tee as opposed to uh, playing in front of the MCG of 100,000 people. This was a good story. You'll enjoy this. Tell me about heading out into the golf course. I mean, we've spoken about the, the biggest stages that you've played on, you know, two premierships, uh, the Richmond Collingwood Games, most Friday nights now for you guys, given your success in recent years, you're up around 70,000 at the G, the noise and, and I suppose the, the process you go through in those situations to try and make everything so quiet, whereas out in the golf course, it's completely silent. We often hear about players having so much noise in their head standing over the ball. Talk to me about the, the contrast of those two different stages of being in such a loud and, and, and grand arena like the G to heading out into the, the narrow fairways of a golf course. Well, at Q, the, the first is right in front of the putting green in the clubhouse and no word or lie, hand on heart. I'm more nervous if there's people up there teeing off on that first <laughs> and playing in front of the grand final. It's fucking horrific. When people looking at you and you're on that first, uh, just get the old four iron out and make sure I don't make a fool of myself and then go from there. Do you reckon there's a little bit of extra pressure as well, being a, being someone of I suppose that they recognise. They look at they they're almost hoping that Nathan Broad skews his skews his drive off into the trees off the first. Oh yeah, hundred percent they do that. And the boys I'm playing with, there's nothing better than a duff off the first. So yeah, the pressure is right up there with um with anything I've had. But you just got to play it safe and to your abilities and get the full iron out, I think. One of our genuine favourites on the 19th Tee podcast is Whitney Hillier, uh, and she joined us, I think it was in France, she might have been, um, or it was definitely on the other side of the world, uh, playing on the ladies' European tour. Um, it, it's been a big year for Whitney, and uh, I'm sure she's looking forward to having some time off. But this was uh, this is a first-hand account of how golf was playing out during the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and the protocols that they've put in place. How's the travel going, uh, I suppose, amongst uh, or going from different to different countries at the moment, I suppose? How's that, how's that all working? I mean, can you travel freely with COVID or what? Yeah, it's honestly surreal. Like, we've taken so many precautions um, throughout the LPGA events, like the Scottish Open, British Open, we're in our own proper bubble like so strict and then we flew to Prague um, without any major checkups or anything like obviously we had to take coronavirus tests and I've done three in the last three weeks so it's, it's been pretty full-on which is a great thing though but um traveling from Europe back to England as well it's it's just pretty crazy to be quite honest with you like it's the airports have <laughs> It's just like a ghost town. It's just surreal. Everyone's probably a little bit too scared to fly right now. Um, so going through security, things like that, it's all pretty straightforward. Um, we did panic a little bit um, because when we were in the Czech Republic last week, um, England announced that Czech Republic was going to be in the red zone and Switzerland as well. And that's where we're flying to next week. So um, we, we had a bit of a panic moment and luckily we got emails from the Ladies European Tour, getting a clearance form and things like that. So, I mean, it's all good now, but I actually just arrived in England yesterday and um, there were no security whatsoever, no temperature to check, no nothing. So I'm honestly a little bit surprised by that, but that's just the way they're doing things over here. So yeah, it's a little bit surreal. Something that we both really enjoy is golf architecture and it was an absolute pleasure to have 
Mike Cocking on the podcast uh, way back when. It was uh, a lot of fun to chat about things uh, where golf architecture is going uh, and how some of the, the modern day technology is perhaps impacting it. Of course, this episode wouldn't be complete without having an Arrowtown update from Kieran Marsh. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, so here is Mike Cocking talking about Arrowtown and uh, how some of the golf courses in New Zealand play. I think it's just for, for me, uh, and that really that, that trip to Queenstown kind of opened my eyes because living up in Queensland, um, we probably don't get the variety of courses that really stoke the imagination, Mike. And, and I'd never, the, the most intriguing thing about Arrowtown was I'd never played anything like it before. Whereas for as beautiful as Jack's Point was, it felt like the stuff I'd played before just on a la- much larger and grander scale. And I think yeah. that's what really got me is that I, I, like, I was drawn back to Arrowtown because I felt like it would play a different way almost every time I played it. And the, the, the challenge yeah. to try and conquer a place like that, I find so much more appealing than going to somewhere where, albeit stunning, it just feels grand more than, more than challenging yeah. itself. It's the, the dumb blonde. Um, <laughs> 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 pretty much. Um, <laughs> the, the interesting librarian. Um, yeah, it's... Um, Arrowtown's an amazing golf course. It's very British. So it's kind of like if you've never played golf in the UK, it's about as close as the Southern Hemisphere has to like an old style, um, you know, Prestwick or North Berwick. You know, with the, it's quirky. Um, mm. We don't have a lot of quirky golf courses in Australia. Um, golf's a little bit homogenised here. So it's interesting any time you suggest something that's a little bit left field, you know, the, the average member will poo-poo it. So whether it's, um, I wrote an article about these things years ago, like breaking the rules. Like pe- people have all these notions of what the rules are with golf. Um, and, uh, you know, f- for a lot of people, it's par 72. They just assume that uh, for a golf course to be good, it has to be par 72. And if you ever suggest, you know, dropping the par of one of the holes and the, and the course will become a par 71. It's amazing how, you know, how passionate the, the debates are that, oh, you can't do that. You know, it's like, well, why? Like, you know, half the courses in the world aren't past 70 or in the world top 100 aren't past 72. Mm. You know, and, and like things like, um, you know, consecutive par threes, consecutive par fives, um, whether the ninth hole returns to the clubhouse or it doesn't. Um, so all these sort of, you know, it's probably 12 or 15, you know, the, a lot of people, you know, you typically try and when you're looking at a, a new course, you know, you try and avoid the, uh, the rising sun, you know, for your first tee shot and the setting sun for the for the, um, the 18th hole. But, you know, what if the best strip of dunes actually placed to the east away from the clubhouse? Are you going to you gonna decide to not put a golf hole there just because it's into the rising sun? Hmm. So do you sort of potentially compromise the golf course to avoid that rule or... What if there's a really choppy section of dunes and the the run of holes, the best run of holes is, you know, par three, par three, short four, par three, you know, three par threes in four holes. You know, do you, do you stray from convention just in order to find the best golf or do you sort of end up bulldozing the dunes just to do something that, you know, people perceive as being more conventional? Um, so much they're, they're, the, they're some of the interesting <laughs> debates that you get into with, you know, 
with um, routing a course, really. Um, how far to push it. Over to episode number 50, The Half Century. Uh, and this is with a man by the name of Nico Hearn, who joined us from Melbourne on the 12th of May. It was a lot of fun to have Nick on. Uh, and he spoke about the 2006 US Open, where he finished T6. It was an absolute carnage event for many people there at Wingfoot. Uh, of course, we didn't see the same carnage this year, but uh, this was a, an interesting chat to get a first-hand perspective of how those that final round played out uh, with Jeff Ogilvy ending up holding the trophy at the end. The 2006 US Open, Nick, at the famed wing foot, uh, the host of this year's event. Hopefully it does get played. Uh, you finished T6. You stormed home in the final round. You're only one of a couple of players to shoot under par in the final round. Jeff Ogilvy, of course, ended up winning that. Monty had a chance. I actually rewatched this final round uh, last week before before we knew that you were coming on the podcast, which was good timing. And, and Phil kind of imploded. Um, tell us about the, the 2006 US Open because it, it was a roller coaster of events and, and you were kind of just bubbling away in the background and, and sort of only finished a couple of shots off the pace. Yeah, it was a fascinating day. I mean, I and wing foot was so hard that year. It was crazy. Um, I think going into the last round, the leaders were one or two over par and I was sitting back there at about nine over par and I remember my caddy and I having a discussion. He actually said to me, hey, Nick, five over is going to win this, um, you know, and I, and he said, you can shoot four under, you got a chance. And I said, mate, I'm nine over for a reason. You know how hard this golf course is. <laughs> Trying to make birdies out here is ridiculous. So anyway, we start the final day and I'm, I'm flushing it on the range beforehand. I'm feeling pretty good. And through nine holes, I'm four under. I've got it to five over. I mean, I am playing lights out. I'm hitting every fairway, every green, making putts playing with Fred Funk and he's looking at me going, you're just keep it going, mate. This is a joke. How good you're playing. <laughs> so, you know, so I got to the 10th tee and almost made the cardinal mistake of going, okay, if I can just par in from here, we're good. You know, I got a chance. And, mm. and in a way that was a bad thing to say, cause I needed these three putted 10 for bogey. Mm. Um, and then played, played pretty good on the back nine, but it just missed the fairway by a yard here or there. And I ended up, uh, I think I made another bogey somewhere, maybe 15 or 16. And then, so I was seven over playing the last and my caddy and I thought, well, maybe six has got a chance. So I tried to force a shot out of the light rough on 18 when I shouldn't have and ended up making bogey because I was trying to make birdie. But it didn't really matter at that point. So I finished eight over and then and then the sort of carnage unfolded. Everyone just kind of came back and, and Jeff made that great up and down on the last to finish five over. Mm. You know, the number that we'd spoken about and he's in the clubhouse and I kind of sitting there and, and I just said, hey, great playing there, Jeff, fantastic. And and he didn't really think he had a chance. That was the funny thing. But we just kind of knew something was going to happen. And I think the person who had the best chance out of everyone was Monty. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he was in the fairway, I think he was four over and he had that perfect six or seven iron into the green and had to wait for his playing partner, Vijay Singh, for about 10 minutes because he was getting a ruling and the weight killed him, unfortunately. Mm. And he ended up flaring it right and making double and then Phil was, what, four over playing the last maybe and then he imploded as well. So it was a it was a crazy finish and, and, and you know, it was great for Australian golf, obviously, with Jeff winning and uh, I just wish I'd have been able to part that back nine anyway. <laughs> but it was a fun event. Episode number 49, and this was the start of our athletes uh, who love their golf series. And this was Chris Lynn, of course, a big bash superstar, the cricketing legend that is 
recently and uh, it was uh, an, one of the best chats I reckon we've had. This is also my top three. I reckon he was so relaxed. Uh, I don't think I've had to edit as many swear words out for Sport FM as I have on this episode. Uh, but Lenny told us about playing golf in India and the lengths that he has to go to just to get out to have a round. It's a lot more uh, complicated than just ringing up and uh, booking a tea time. So this is Lenny uh, telling us about golf in India. You played a little bit in, in India, Linny. Have they got many golf courses over there? Mate, absolutely beautiful golf courses over in India. The best one in India that I've played is uh, in Delhi. And there's also one in a place called Pune, which is an hour outside of Mumbai. And it's, um, yeah, they're magic. You, you'd think you could be, not in India, you're in, you know, any part of the world. But, um, you know, what stands out to me in those countries is the, the grain on the greens. Uh, you know, just just reading it, it's it's so tough. Um, you know, you're either hitting it, you know, on ice downhill, or you're hitting it in Velcro uphill. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But uh, yeah, it's it's something that again, I don't get too frustrated when I'm out on the course because I get played to play cricket, not golf. <laughs> How do you go getting out and and playing golf in India, mate? Because you were talking about Michael Jordan before. In, in many ways, when you're in India, you are the Michael Jordan there. They absolutely adore you, mate. How do you go getting out of the hotel and, and getting down to a golf course? Yeah, it's, uh, it takes some organising. It takes about uh, three cop cars, um, you know, a dozen security. Um, and it's quite a drawn-out process. I mean, as I mentioned before, coming back from Pakistan, that was a whole new level. Um, they shut down the roads. Uh, we're in a bomb-proof um, van, um, bomb and bulletproof van. Uh, I've got a signal jammer driving next to me in a car. Um, what else? Yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, again, they need about probably four or five days' notice to, to organise golf. Um, yeah, so it <laughs> is wild. quite tough. But but in terms of the people, uh, obviously, you talk about that space and that silence. Uh, it's the best way. Obviously, in India, they're on top of you. Uh, wherever you go and uh, you know, that, that's why you stay in your hotel room so much just to get away from it all but the next best is the golf course um, but yeah again some some beautiful courses and I think when you're in those types of countries you can easily get uh, angry um, you know about the how slow things are but I found over the years that you know if you learn to be patient and embrace the culture you know time just flies then over to episode number 93 and hitting into the light, a.k.a. Tom Hewson. Um, Tom's story is incredible. Uh, we covered a, a lot of topics in this chat. Of course, uh, there were some some really deep topics that we covered around anxiety, depression, self-harm and, and suicide, of course. So um, it, it was a very confronting chat for us to have, but one that we felt was really important during the month of November. Um, of course, coinciding with Movember. So this is Tom talking about uh, the role that travel and golf played during his battle with mental illness. We spoke about at the top, your two great passions, one being golf and the other travel. Uh, how how present were they in, in your dark times or, or was it a case of that was probably a big reason as to why you got where you got because you, I suppose, ran away from the things that you love and you didn't allow yourself to to have fun or, or have an escape and, and how important have they been in your, in your recovery? Yeah. So, so golf was something that, that I didn't even realize I was, I was making an excuse not to play and I would, yeah, I'd, I'd book a game of golf for a Saturday morning and I'd purposely go out drinking all night before. So I, I couldn't go or 
I'd find excuses for to not to play, and um, it they just got easier and easier. And then and then in the end, nobody was inviting me to play anymore. Uh, with travel, I was because it was part of my work. Um, I still travelled overseas, but again, I'd I'd feel that I'd need to get on the piss at the airport and drink all the way through, and 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 have that almost that protective coating on so nobody would get too close. And, you know, I missed out on a lot of good moments and, and almost lost a couple of jobs because of it. And again, I, it was thinking back, it was probably a, a reaction to maybe punch myself and, and people punch themselves in, in all different types of ways. But for me, it was by not letting myself achieve anything, not taking things to the next level and not, giving myself a pat on the back but and going through my um my sessions with the psychiatrists and psychologists this was a big thing that that came up for me is it's okay to pat yourself on the back it's it's okay to acknowledge that when you do a good job when you achieve these goals and and that is something that I've never been able to do and through hitting into the light that that's one thing that I've I've struggled with, but I've been more aware of, of when I do a couple of these crazy challenges and, and push myself to these extremes that I actually do sit down and, and give, give myself a bit of a pat on the back, even though it may only be in private. But um, yeah. This one takes us all the way back to the beginning of the year when we uh, managed to secure uh, a man by the name of Tom Coyne on the podcast. And this is episode 38, the part in part one of the chat. We did have a two part of his Tom. Um, he's a New York Times best-selling author, an incredibly uh, humble and and just golf-loving man who walked around the circumference of Ireland. It's, it's quite phenomenal. You have to read his book. So here's me uh, grilling him about a question uh, or grilling him about a, a part of his book that's really stuck with me. Uh, this is one of my favourite chats that we've had, and and um, you know Tom was super generous with his time, and I encourage you all to get all of his books. Uh, a course called Ireland, Scotland, America. He's got a few others, uh, Paper Tiger as well. So uh, make sure you just Google Tom Coyne and, and grab all of his books because they're, they're phenomenal reading. Tom, there's, um, there's dog years bent into all of my, uh, all throughout my course called Ireland book. Uh, and that's, there's so many things that we've got to ask you about, but of course we've got limited time. And, but one of the parts of the book that stuck with me the most um, was in the first few pages in the introduction. And I've actually taken a photo of it saved on my phone when I get frustrated out on the golf course or I've had a rough few holes and it, and it puts things into perspective and, and I'll just read it for the benefit of our listeners. And, it, and you say, don't set out with demands that the roads and the weather and your game treat you fairly. Don't judge your days by scores or course rankings. Visit nine holers, get the soup, play to have fun, not to be finished. Wander with an open mind and let the wind take you. I know you're specifically talking about Ireland there, but that, that is applicable to every person who steps foot on a golf course or loves this game. And, and to me, that's, that's truly flipped my mindset about, about playing golf. Cause I used to go out, you know, as a, as a mid 20 handicapper and think, well, today I'm going to shoot even par. This is going to be the day. And, and I realize it's so much more than that. It's about walking around the course with, with three of my best mates, you know, talking shit for half an hour at a time, being silent for half an hour at a time. And, being out in the open fresh air and just enjoying life it i think that paragraph was was the most poignant part of the book for for mine oh thank you i think i appreciate that and i think 
you know, hearing you read that, I would say like, it's interesting, you know, from when I wrote that and how that idea has even continued to evolve for me. And as you say, like, apply that to things, you know, beyond the golf course, because I think, I, I suppose what I'm talking about there is, is open-mindedness, right? Mm. Um, and essentially how expectations, expectations pretty much pretty good at ruining just about everything, right? You know, golf or otherwise, <laughs> when, when we get into a role in our lives where we are demanding certain outcomes or, you know, forcing certain outcomes or going into the day, you go into a day and say everything has to happen X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what the hell's the point? What kind of joy are you going to have in that day yeah. if that did happen, right? What's the point of even living that day if you already know what's going to happen? So just being open-minded to the turns in the road or providence or the 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 miracles or surprises that are going to wander into your life that day, whatever. You know, it's it's kind of big, heady stuff. But it, it for me, it did start with like trying to have that open-minded approach to golf where it's like, okay, I'm going to go out today. I'm going to shoot 74 and this is how I'm going to do it. And, you know, and, and, and demand that that be the case or my day was a failure. Right. And, and what a waste of a round of golf that is to, I think, to approach it that way, there's no joy or discovery in, in any of that. Um, so that open-mindedness that I try to apply to my golf, I generally try to kind of apply it to most things in my life these days. Mm. Um, and it makes your travel better. It makes your life better. Episode number 86 with, uh, the young gun that is Steph Kiriakou. Of course, she uh, was named the ladies European tour rookie of the year as if it wasn't already known. She had a phenomenal season. I think she had about five top tens in nine events or something absurd like that. Uh, she joined us on the podcast to chat about uh, her career to date, where she's going, her lofty goals, and uh, of course, her win at Bonville, which is where this next uh, little segment comes from. Let's talk about <laughs> uh, let's talk about Bonville specifically, um, the Ladies Classic uh, in February this year. It, a dominant performance from yourself. We speak about being dominant for for three or four months, but this was uh, quite clearly probably one of the best performances that you put together in a in a pro. Um, event you were obviously still an amateur at this point but you were you were on top of your game across all four rounds there's absolutely no doubt about it take us through uh, that week and uh, take us through what it's like to to break through for that victory okay so (laughs) I don't even know where to start Um, I guess the practice rounds we can start there Um, I had practice rounds with a few of the uh, lady pros, uh, Steph Nah and Christine Wolf. So that was pretty cool. Um, so being able to watch them play was cool, learning off them, asking them questions. And I was actually asking them questions about like turning pro and about Q school and stuff because I was planning to go to Q school at the end of this year, but obviously it doesn't need to happen anymore. Um, and then, yeah, first round happened and I shot three under, which is, which I was actually pretty stoked with because I never shot under par at Bonville like I always found it a tough track so shooting under par was really good for me and then the second day I had nine under which was actually my personal best and I I eagled the last to shoot nine under which is cool and I had like a little crowd there and they were all cheering for me <laughs> and then I was I don't know if I was in the lead or if I was I think maybe I was at a shot back or something or I was tired lead 
going into the third round. And um, I shot three under again, but it felt like I played, didn't play that good in the third round, but I still did. And then I had a two-shot lead going into the last round and I was so nervous on my first tee shot. I like kind of chunked it a little bit and I hit it like in the rough. And for those who don't know or who haven't played Bonville, the first hole is a dog leg right up the hill, but you have to lay up because there's a water stream in the middle, like where your driver would go. So I laid up, but I laid up in like in the rough and I had a really bad lie. And then I chunked it out just over the the water hazard. And I, I made up and down from like 60 metres for a par. And then the other two girls in my group who were second and third, both made bogey. So that kind of took a little bit of stress off my shoulders. And then the second hole, I birdied the second hole. So I had like a four shot lead. And then after that, like something in my brain just went, all right, like I can't lose now. Like that's it. And then I made a par on three and then I made like five birdies in a row after that. And then, oh, yeah, then <laughs> that's what happened. And then the back nine, I don't know. I think I didn't, I think I pulled the handbrake a little bit and tried to play safe golf, which is, I mean, it's fine because I was leading, but like I, I play better when I'm more aggressive. So I could, anyway, anyway, that doesn't matter. Then I, yeah. So then I just played safe golf on the back nine and then ended up winning the tournament. And last, but certainly not least, um, Again, I've I got to really work out which one of my favourite episodes uh, are because this was an absolute ripper with Jake McLeod uh, taking us to the Open Championship where he uh, managed to play a round, or not a round, it was a hole actually, uh, with the great man Tiger Woods. Um, he was talking about uh, that he just rocked up on the tee box and he managed to be there. This is episode 44 back in uh, the 31st of March. So make sure that you go and check this one out. It's an absolute ripping conversation he's a very funny man he's got a big future ahead of him (laughs) (laughs) another one of your experiences i wanted to touch on uh jake and and uh, i mean i I, it may not be your fondest memory but you know from from a casual observer from the outside it would be mine if i was in your shoes uh the opportunity to play in the the open championship royal port rush uh you know many people describe it as um well I, i suppose it depends on which side of the the big big blue water you're you're from because many people in europe describe it as the pinnacle of golf and then maybe yeah. on the other side in America, they say it's second only to the Masters. But just the just the privilege to walk into a tournament and you know and and play, um, albeit two rounds, an impressive two rounds, despite not making the cut at, at such a tournament as the Open Championship. What was that experience like? Yeah, that was um, that was unreal. It was, but yeah, one of those weeks I'll remember forever. It was. Um, yeah, just like going in and registering and all that sort of stuff. It was, it was different. Um, I don't know. It was, you know, all the players walking through the the players' lounge and stuff in the locker rooms. You see all the big names and they're all like eating in the you know the players' lounge stuff. And you've got your guests in there. And it's like you're just so close to them all. And that that was pretty cool to. Um, I don't know, it was, it was a pretty special feeling through there. But I think the main thing, the biggest thing for me was just the crowds. Um, it was sold out that week and it was just electric. Like even in the practice rounds, like you usually you go out and have like, well, in Europe or Australia or Asia or whatever, there's no one walking in the practice rounds really. or well, there might be a few, but out there they just love, they love golf over there. Like 
more than every other any other country i reckon and you just hit a shot and practice round and they're just clapping you and just loving it like it's <laughs> absolutely loving it these shots hit like you're in the bunker and you just hit a good shot with a bit of spin they're just frothing it <laughs> that's brilliant and, um, <laughs> yeah so that was cool um and then yeah once it started obviously you know all the all the fairways are like lined with people um not every you know like where where there's big groups and stuff so and like there was kind of like these two par threes or par four and par three that sort of joint green that went with grandstands all around it and it was just i don't know people everywhere it was just unreal best thing ever <laughs> yeah. until 2020's one which is going to happen i'm but firmly yeah. believing it's going to happen hopefully um, I actually i played i played a hole with tiger as well there just one hole is that right Tell yeah, us the story. The Tell Actually, us that was, everything yeah, that was cool in the greatest amount of detail you can, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'll go the first day. I'll tell you. So the first day, you put your name down in time slots there. So you, you have to book tee times, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I put my name down on Monday at one o'clock just by myself. I didn't know when the other boys would get, like Aussie boys and that were getting there. And so I rock up to the tee just thinking I'm going to play by myself, go out there and, you know, cruise around. I get on the tee and Justin Thomas and Charlie Hoffman are there. I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, he's like, oh, are you Jake? Like the starter guy. I was like, yeah. Oh, you guys are all teeing up together. I was like, oh, sweet. So I was just so nervous. I was more nervous on Monday than Thursday. Dead set. Like I was like I was shaking, teeing it up. Anyway, so we played that round. That was pretty cool. Justin was nice and so was Charlie. And um, so the next day, me, Foxy and Dimmy are playing together on Tuesday morning. And we get down to the tee and the group's just sort of left the tee, the group in front. And we were early. We're probably third group off of the day. And um, Tiger's standing on the tee. And Lee looks at me because my coach is cutting for me. And he goes, you're joking. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's like 8.30, whatever time, just say we've seen off 8.30. And I was like, well, it's 8.30. You must be playing with us. And the starter goes, oh, we've been, sorry, we've been caught up this morning. Um, Tigers, like, going in front of you, like, rah, rah, rah. Mr. Woods like, gets his own tea time. There's no... Yeah, that's what I said to Lee. I was like, oh, he's definitely not booked a practice round. He's just <laughs> pumping in there. And um, anyway, he sort of, he turns around and he looks at us and he goes, are you guys in a three? And he's like, he says, yep. And he goes, oh, well, do you mind if I join you? I'm just going to play the first hole and go to 14. And he's like, yeah, 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 yep, we're in. <laughs> so we're sitting on the tee, waiting for the group in front to clear still. And um, Lee goes to me, do you have any sunscreen in the bag? And I said, nah, nah, I got none in the bag. And Tiger's, Tiger's standing to the left of me, goes, sunscreen? I haven't had to put that on in 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> so Lee was loving it. And yeah, I was just like, we watched him hit, then I hit off. And I don't know, it just went so quickly. We played the first hole with him, but it was so cool. Like, I don't know. He was, yeah, it was sick. <laughs> That's you, awesome. It was sick. Yeah. When you, when, so. you, when you look back on it, did you, mm. uh, you just said it went so quickly and I, and I can only imagine uh, we would have been, you know, 10 times as bad in your shoes. But do you look back and you take anything from watching him play or was it just such a blur and went so quickly? Like what, what's that three and a half, mm. minutes, four minutes like that you walked that first hole? 
Um, oh, it just went so quickly. I couldn't really take anything out of it. I mean, he hit his first tee shot, and he was—I don't know if you guys remember—but he's really ginger that week. I he might have pulled out or something. He was hurt, so he hit his real like real slow sort of thing, and sort of like went, yeah, sort of hobbling up the fairway and. But Dimmy was in his ear walking up the fairway. I didn't get time to say. Dimmy was straight in there chatting his ear off, just loving it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I just remember I was just standing on the green, like at the back of the green, just watching him putt because I've always loved his putting, like his setup and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. It's, I just think it's good to watch. And um, so, yeah, I didn't, really, I didn't get to really take anything out of it, but I don't know. It was just a cool experience. <laughs> Poor old Tiger's lobbed down there unannounced and thought he'd get away on his own and Papadados is chewing yeah. his ear off up the first fairway. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed uh, looking back at some of the highlights. Obviously, a little bit of a longer episode. We've had some fantastic chats along the year uh, and thank you very much for tuning in and listening throughout 2020. Hopefully, 2021 brings some more big things for the 19th Tee Podcast. Wishing you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and uh, we'll be back in early 21 with some new content coming out. So thanks very much. Merry Christmas and uh, enjoy a gate throws or two and a few rounds of golf over the break. <laughs>